Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23. The title of today's message is The Three Crosses of Calvary. I'm going to begin this morning by talking about a story of three men who worked for a really large company. There were sales reps in different parts of the country, and they all got a call to come together to talk about this huge uh, rollout of a new product within the company. So they all came up, out, jumped in a plane, all ended up at the same airport together. They were all waiting for a taxi, and they got to talking, realized they worked for the same company, decided, hey, let's just rent a car together, and we can get to the company headquarters and, and present our ideas to the CEO because the person who had the best idea got this huge bonus. So they're all really excited about presenting their ideas because, you know, they're looking to get this huge bonus. So they jump in the car and they start driving toward the uh, place where they're supposed to go and present this idea. And just like in most places, it's summer. And what's summer in most cities? Construction time, right? Especially up here in the north. All the roads get repaired. So they're in there and they're looking at the GPS. GPS is telling them to go one way. Road construction signs tell them to go this way. They get sent on detours. They end up in little neighborhoods and they get totally turned around and lost. And they're trying to figure out where they're going and, and the passengers are starting to get grumpy at the driver because they don't want to be late for this because if they're late for this, they're not going to be able to get their presentation done and they're going to lose their bonus. So this poor guy who's driving, he's going this way, he's going that way. He turns a corner, all of a sudden he sees this big line of cars that aren't moving, and now he's stuck. And this line of cars starts slowly but surely moving. They turn a corner, and right there at the end of that street, they see a building on fire. And as they get closer, they see a, um, the fire department's not there yet. They're blocked by the same construction traffic everybody else is. And they see a woman and two children leaning out of a second-story window, crying for somebody to come and help them. They see smoke coming out all around them, fire starting to come out below them, and you know they're, they're trapped. They're lost. They're, they're just stuck in this building, just like these people are stuck in the traffic. So the guy in the backseat starts loudly complaining, going, we're going to miss this meeting. I'm going to lose my bonus. You know, you're an idiot. Why can't you possibly drive to this location? It was clearly marked. We had clear directions. GPS is telling us to go this way. You think we should be going that way. And he's loudly complaining and cursing at the driver and saying, why don't you do something to get us out of here? Because we're going to be stuck on this fire scene forever once the fire department gets here and blocks off the roads. And he's just yelling and cussing and just being a jerk in the back. And the guy to the side of him, He's yelling now, too, because he's like, yeah, he's right. You're going to get us um, to lose this bonus. We're not going to be able to get our idea out there. And we just wasted a flight, wasted a rental car, wasted a hotel. And now we're not going to get there either. And so this poor driver is trying to get around and everything. And they get right up next to the building and everything stops. Nobody's going anywhere because the fire department's trying to get through. And this guy in the passenger seat just looking at this woman and her children crying in the burning building. And he's just moved to compassion. He stops complaining. He looks at their plate and he goes, I got to do something. So he jumps out of the door. He grabs some of the neighbors that had gathered around and found a ladder. And they got a ladder up to him. And he ran up the ladder and helped get the children down and got the uh, woman down and, and saved their lives. And meanwhile, the guy in the back seat is still loudly complaining and yelling and shouting at the guy, saying, just leave him. Come on, we got to go. We got to get this bonus. We got we to gotta get to the headquarters so we don't get in trouble or, or get yelled at or anything. That was a pretty heartless thing, isn't it? 
for this guy to be yelling while somebody else is, is trying to save lives. Now what I've done with this story is I've tried to modernize just a little bit the story we're going to read this morning in Luke chapter 23. This morning we're going to be dealing with a very specific event that happened during the crucifixion of Jesus. And in particular, what the reactions of the other two men who were crucified with Jesus were. These men were seeing the great and famous rabbi that everybody in Israel knew about hanging in the same place, being crucified just like they were. He's being put to death in the most grotesque and shameful way that anybody could be put to death in that time. And that's where we pick up the story with their reactions in Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus, saying, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, Don't you fear God? Since we are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father God, there were three crosses on Calvary's hill, each representing something different that we're going to look into this morning. And I ask, Father, that as we study these three crosses, as we study the three men that were there, that you would prick our heart on which cross we would identify with this morning. That you would help us see that at different times in our lives, or even today, we might be identified with one of these crosses. I ask, Father, that you just open up our hearts to receive your word this morning, that you touch my lips and give me the ability to preach it and teach it in such a way that it will change lives and open eyes. Father God, I thank you and I ask this in your name. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at the three crosses of Calvary. And we're going to see uh, and look at the different reactions that people have to seeing Jesus for who he is and even seeing some of the resistance that some of these people might have in accepting him and coming to him and surrendering to him. But before we begin, it should be noticed that, depending on the translation of the Bible you might be reading, that it calls the men that were crucified with Jesus thieves. Now, thieves by itself, back in the time of Jesus, theft was not necessarily a capital crime. So these thieves were most likely armed robbers or insurrectionists on top of being thieves. That was a capital offense, and that was uh, subject to crucifixion. So under the law of their day, they completely deserved the death penalty for their crimes, under the law of their day. That being said, the first cross I want to look at today is the rebellious cross. The person who was hanging on this cross was the hardened criminal. He was the one that was cursing Jesus the most. If he lived today, he'd be the guy who was covered in prison tats. He'd have that dead look in his eye. Have you ever seen a hardened criminal, even on TV, their mugshots and stuff? They just have that dead look in their eyes, that, that hard look that says that I would just kill you as much as I want to talk to you. In a modern prison, he'd be part of our secured housing unit called the SHU program, locked in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day because they were so dangerous to everybody else. 
He'd look at Jesus as just some other religious nut trying to take advantage of him or trying to take his money or, or, or doing something bad to him, trying to take control of him somehow. And he deserved what all religious people deserve, death, shame. And if I can do anything to make you feel worse on the way to, to, to your death, I'm going to do it. That was his attitude there. That's who was re- hanging on that rebellious cross. But you know, you don't need to be a product of the prison system to be like that. That same spirit that exists within those hardened criminals is that same spirit that exists in people today if you bring up things like Jesus, the church, the Bible, or salvation by grace alone. It's that same spirit that will throw every church scandal they can at you as an excuse why they don't want to come to the cross, as an excuse why they won't kneel in repentance and ask God to forgiveness. They'll point out every slight, real, imagined, or blown out of proportion as an excuse to not come to Christ and ask God for forgiveness. But what's really behind these arguments? Have you ever asked this? You bring up Jesus and they'll say, oh, they're hypocrites. You bring up Jesus, oh, look at all those church scandals. You bring bring up the Bible, oh, it's just a bunch of myths and fairy tales. But what's really behind those arguments? It's really very simple. Jesus himself said it in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. In other words, they love their sin more than they love the truth and more than they love God. Therefore, the whole idea of repentance and submission to God's authority is absolutely repugnant to them. It's that same spirit that closed the people's ears for 120 years while Noah built the ark. It's that same deception that clouded the mind of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah to ignore Abraham or Lot's pleading to them to turn from their sin and repent. It's that same darkness that blinded the eyes of God's chosen people, Israel, to the rank rebellion they kept getting involved with, with worshiping other gods of the nations surrounding them. It's that same pride that made the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' time, try to put him to death instead of listening to him because they were more concerned about living a comfortable life under Rome than experiencing the freedom that was in Christ and, and in God. And before you think, well, those were just stupid people of ancient times. It's that same love of sin that keeps people enslaved today. It's that spirit that closes the hearts, the minds, and the ears of our neighbors, our family, and our friends to the truth. They'd rather believe the comfortable lie than the inconvenient truth. It's that same deception that blinds people to the truth that God hates sin to the point that his son had to die on an old rugged cross to pay the penalty that we deserve so that we could be saved. It's that same darkness that exists even in some religious people today, that they want to trust in a form of godliness, but deny the power of the cross, deny the power of the resurrection, deny the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can just have this religious system that does them absolutely no good. 
That rebellious cross still stands today as a testimony to the pervasiveness of sin and rebellion in our world. And I would ask you this morning, is that the cross that you identify with today? Can you see yourself at all in any of those descriptions that I've said? The second cross that was there was the repentant cross. In Mark's version of what happened with these men, it says both these criminals took turns insulting Jesus as he hung there in agony, as he, as he suffered, as he was suffocating to death. Both of them took their shots at Jesus. Both of them mocked him. Both of them questioned him. Both of them mocked his mission and screamed blasphemies at, the, at Jesus as they struggled to breathe themselves. And as the hours dragged by, as they hung there under the hot Jerusalem sun, something happened to one of them. His opinion of Jesus began to change. Maybe it was a refusal of the drink that they offered him. Remember, somebody offered him drink on a sponge. That drink was a narcotic that was given to dying men to ease their passage into death. Jesus refused it. He said, no, I have to suffer. I have to, this is the payment for mankind's sin, and I cannot have my mind dulled at all. I have to pay the full price. Jesus refused it. Maybe it was watching Jesus suffering even more than they were. Remember, these two men were just crucified. Jesus had spent the night having his skin ripped off his body with whips, having his, his body beaten and kicked and spat upon, his beard ripped from his, his face. All that before they nailed him to the cross. And yet, even Je and yet Jesus, even through all this blinding pain he had to be in, looks down at his mother and makes sure that his most beloved disciple takes her in, knowing that if he didn't, she would suffer persecution and death and, or starvation if he didn't do it. Or maybe it was the prayer, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Whatever it was, it broke through that life of rebellion. It shattered that wall of self-sufficiency. It destroyed any strength of, that the man had, or strength the man had in himself. A man who knew that he was looking down at the gates of hell, opening up to swallow him as he was dying on that cross. He decided that he didn't want that, and he reached out to that rabbi and asked for mercy, asked for forgiveness. And Jesus as weak as he had to be, as, as in blinding pain that none of us could even begin to imagine, still locked his eyes with his. And for the first time in his life, this man knows unselfish and unrelenting love. And a peace that transcended all understanding breaks through the blinding pain that man was in when he hears the words, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you and I have that same chance that thief did. To look upon the Savior that bled and died for you to satisfy divine justice. Take his sacrifice as payment for your sin. And you too will see Jesus in paradise. I have visited this cross. Many people here have visited this cross. Because visiting this cross is the only way to get to the last cross, and that is redemption's cross. I used to be a prison chaplain and a jail chaplain. 
And it's kind of a dark joke in prisons all over the world. You sit down across from somebody and you, it just comes up, you know, why are you here? Why, what, how did you end up in jail? And every one of them, it's, it's, it's kind of a joke. They just, I got framed. My lawyer stunk. You know, all the excuses in the world except for the reason that they were there come up. I'm innocent. I don't deserve to be here. It, it's, it's always, it's just kind of a, a, a sick joke that you know, exists in the prison system. But at redemption's cross, the one that Jesus hung on, this was actually the truth. A few moments before his death, Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sekbethaini. It's the only place in the entire New Testament where the translators left the original Aramaic that Jesus commonly spoke. It was the, the language of Judah at that time. Why did they leave that there? Just like that. Because those words are the essence of the gospel. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words that Jesus cried out moments before his death. Because it was in that moment that he who had no sin became sin for us. So that we might have the righteousness that God requires. It's at that moment that Jesus took upon himself the sin of the whole world. Your sin, my sin, the sin that we have committed before, the sin that we will commit in the future. All of it came upon him at that moment. And he suffered this penalty for that sin, that separation from the Father. It's an incredible truth. And a very somber mystery. I, I can't even begin to, des to describe it myself. But somehow at that moment, the unified Godhead, the Trinity that had existed for eternity past, was somehow torn apart for the moment. God had to turn his back on his son, part of himself. And Jesus, who up to this point had only knew a complete fellowship with God, was now alone. Now he knew what those who will suffer eternally in hell would feel. Separation from God and no hope. He felt that when God turned his back on him. You see, redemption always comes with a cost. And God redeeming you and I from the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion and stubborn pride came at that highest cost. Jesus his one and only Son, was the cost for our stubborn pride and rebellion. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But that's not the end of the story. That's not what Easter is about. God didn't just give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. No. God wants you to experience His life to, for you. And that life is seen in the resurrection. You see, Jesus didn't just suffer to save you. 
If you accept Him as Lord and Savior, that means that in God's sight, you are completely holy. You're without stain. You're without blemish. All that stuff you think you carry from your past, it's gone. It's washed away in a sea of forgetfulness. God doesn't see it. And His work on the cross allows for God's very essence, His Spirit, to come and live within you. That constant reminder of His active presence in your life. That same Spirit that exists in Jesus exists in you when you come to the cross. It helps you to live a life that matters for the kingdom of God here on earth and bring and earn rewards for the kingdom of God in heaven. And when the Holy Spirit comes into you, He is an equal member of the Godhead. And He brings with Him Jesus. He brings with Him the Father. You have the fullness of God living within you. And God wants to give that resurrection life to you today. So I would ask you this morning, where are you standing? Are you before the rebellious cross? Are you holding on to your love of sin, knowing that what it's going to get you one day? Or are you ready for the repentant cross? Are you, have you, know, you know that you've lived a life of rebellion, but now you see that you need to take that step and kneel before redemption's cross and be saved. So where are you this morning? Father God, I ask, Lord, that if there are people here that identified with the rebellious cross this morning, that this is where they are at in life. I would ask, Father, that you give them the ability right now to surrender before you and be saved, Lord. That you would appoint them to eternal life right now. It's nothing complicated. It's not even a a real formal prayer. It's just saying, Jesus, I know I have sinned. I know I have done what the Bible says is wrong. I want to turn from that now and I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior at this moment. And I give my life to you. It's that simple. If that is you this morning, I beg of you to pray that prayer. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone. Today is a day of salvation. So, Lord God, as you begin to move in people's hearts, I have a second question of who needs that resurrection life. Maybe you've surrendered to Jesus. Maybe you're trying to live for him, but it just seems like you keep getting pulled back into your old ways. You need resurrection life. You need the Holy Spirit to be living within you. You need a fresh touch from God. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, I ask that you just begin to search us and know us. Touch everybody's heart here, Lord. And where there is a need for resurrection life, I ask, Father, that you begin to touch those people right now in Jesus' name. I ask, Lord, that peace that transcends all understanding will drive away worry, will drive away fear, will drive away unbelief by the power of your Holy Spirit. Come and take up residence in hearts who have surrendered to Jesus. Not only just for our benefit, but for the benefit 
of those that we live around because we want to be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. And we want to be able to live for you in such a way that it is highly attractive to people who don't know you. So Lord God, I just bless your people this resurrection morning. I ask, Father, that you help us to live in a resurrection power so that when we stand before you, there are people standing behind us that we have brought into the kingdom with us.